0: Hey everyone, this is, this is my Bible. I believe it's God's Word. I believe, word. I believe, every, word I believe every word is true. And it's all, it's all that I need. Okay, last week we kind of left Isaac and Rebecca in a little um, kind of dysfunctional place. And, you know, when we started, it, you know, the chapter, it, it just, well, it looked like it, it looked like that that things were going going well. That we know that um, Abraham died, and Isaac and Ishmael, you know, buried him, and and then we watch after it said, and now here's the account of Abraham's son Isaac, and 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 we see that Isaac. I'm sure after that beautiful love story, you know how the two, how that story all came together and and the last part of that one chapter was that he loved her and he and she and she filled that void that Sarah when Sarah died, you know there was that hole in his heart and she she filled that and it just was such a sweet story and then and then you you see how they want a child because Isaac knows that this whole, this whole promise, this whole covenant, he's the covenant child, and so the whole covenant promise is now going to continue through him. And so, you know, when they, they, I bet after that first year of marriage, I bet they started wondering, I don't have a baby yet. I mean, I really think that they thought that they were going to have a child right away. And... I mean, here again, I don't know for sure, but it's just the way the promise was and what they assumed and probably what they wanted as a married couple now. But it didn't happen. And it didn't. And so do you think that, you know, when did they start praying? And I would dare say they started praying right away. And, you know, we've kind of been looking at certain words like Prayer and that it is a connection that we have with God. Prayer is that connection. It isn't just when we close our eyes and fold our hands and give them our requests. Prayer is that connection that Paul says we are never to disconnect. We are to pray ceaselessly because we need Him every second. And then we also know that when we do ask our requests, he will say yes, and he will say no. And we, we have discussed that, and we know that yes is our favorite, but he does also answer in a way that I love you too much to give you your way if it's not the right thing right now, and he will just, he will just say no, and that's an answer. But then we had to learn how another answer is wait. And Abraham and Sarah, they have, they've had to wait for decades. I mean, they, they were, you know, when God works on us, he, it does, he does it according to his timetable, and sometimes it really does take a while. And then here again, in this instance too, Isaac and Rebecca, they had to wait. It didn't, it didn't happen in a year, and they kept praying two years, and three years, and four years. and in 20 years, they had to wait. And what did we learn about that word wait? Remember the dictionary said stop what you're doing. Or delay until the proper time. And that is such a good definition of wait. But I love the biblical definition of wait and that is to hope. To hope. And that's not wishful thinking kind of hope. To hope means it's a sure thing. You can count on it. And Another definition of wait was you know, to, to anticipate, to look forward to, but yet we don't always know how long the wait's going to be, so what's going to help us? What's the word that will keep us waiting, not jumping the gun, but waiting? And that word is trust. And we have to know that sometimes we don't always get the answer. We don't, always, we don't always get the answer, of course, when we want it, but sometimes we don't even see the answer. But trusting is, even if I don't see it here, I know that God answers. And whether his answer will be yes or no, we might not actually always see it. But when we trust, we know that someday, somehow, God will, because that's what he promised. He will right every wrong, and he will make sure every prayer, every request is answered according to his will. So that, that word prayer is very important, too. The word wait is very important. And then we see how that when they finally, when they're finally expecting, and, and, and it was, you know, really quite cute because she had never been pregnant before and now she has two babies inside of her and it says that they were jostling with each other and this must have really felt strange. And so she inquired of the Lord about it. And the Lord came back with such an explanation that I doubt she was expecting. I mean, the Lord comes back with the answer, um, the reason for this this commotion within you, is that you have, got, you have got two babies, you've got two nations, you've got two different peoples, and one's going to be stronger than the other. And I'm sure this was the real hard part, because it was so abnormal in the day. The older will serve the younger. But what I appreciate here is that God was right up front with Rebecca right from the start and said, this is the way it's going to be. You know, God doesn't owe us an explanation, but he does expect us to just trust and believe. And and I still am a firm believer that if Rebecca would have told the boys as they grew every year and they became a little older and more, you know, able to understand, I just... Think that they would have had an understanding. There's so many between last week and this week, if they would have just done it God's way, they would we would have a whole different kind of story. So I think what happened was, like, and, and the reason I think it is because I know this is such a natural thing, is when we pray and pray and pray for something and then we finally get it, I think we kinda kinda lax. We kinda get a little, well, like I want to want who. And now and I think they got a little, little lax because the way they start acting now, Rebecca and Isaac, and then the influence on, the, on their children, I think they just kind of started not clinging to the Lord like they had been before. And I don't think that she explained to the kids what God said. I'm sure, I mean, I could, I would have just loved to set those boys down and say, boy, boy, do I have a story for you? Do I ever have to tell you what God said? Because this I know this is not normal. But, you know, I know we're not gonna understand it. And Esau, this is my this might be a hard pill for you to swallow. Jacob, maybe you don't get it either, but this is what God said. And he doesn't. Oh us an explanation. He's God, we're not. I mean, if she would have just sat down with those boys and, and every year explained, well, you know what happened. And, you know, we also talked last week that the two personalities of these boys were so different. They looked different. They, they, their personalities were different, but neither one of those things were bad. I mean, you know, they weren't identical twins. They, they had different personalities. One loved the outside, one loved the inside. I mean, that's not the problem. The problem came with Abraham kind of veered to the hunter. He, he kind of had more in common with, with, with um, Esau, and Rebecca seemed to have more in common with Jacob. And all I can see is division, and it just isn't going to work out. And then the story, I mean... I think of how you know Esau comes in, and sure enough, you know he's hungry. What you have here are two boys that are just so consumed with themselves, and it's so. Um, you want to think, well, this is how God used it so that Jacob had the birthright instead of Esau. But I just don't believe that. I think the story would have would have been so different if cause God would never use conniving. He would never use manipulation. You've got two self-centered boys right here. You've got Esau, who's drama queen. He comes in, oh, I'm so hungry. And then you've got the wheels going, and Jacob, think, ooh, I can use this. You know, okay, then, then sell me the birthright. Well, I'll die anyway, so. I mean, you can, you can just hear how this all went. And then, okay, swear to me. I mean, this is not good. And remember last week I said, this was a transaction, a transaction that, that should not never been because it was already cut and dried. The birthright wasn't Esau's to sell, and Jacob didn't have to buy it because it was him. It was already his. The only thing is, the problem with this story is that they didn't wait. They didn't wait for God to work it out. It was going to happen, and I think there's such a big lesson in there. You know, I think we could, ha- we could have had a whole different kind of chapter here. So now, you know, we, we start today's lesson with, okay, I think they're still in that kind of spiritual upheaval. I don't think they're tight with the Lord at this point from, from their actions. Because remember, when you walk with the Lord, we've seen it a number of times since we started this study. It's been such a visual that when you walk with the Lord, this is what you're able to do, this is what it looks like. This it's just right. And then when God is never mentioned he's in the chapter and when they're, you know, they're running on their own steam and they're calling their own shots and then this is the consequence that happens. I mean, it's like how how clear. It's so clear. So now again, God is going to test. He's going to test, and He's going to use the same kind of test, really, that He used with Abraham and Sarah. And I think famine is probably a good test because everybody needs to eat. So you know, it's it's kind of kind of a thing, a, kind of a panic first, thinking, "Oh no, we, we're not going to have any food, and what's going to happen?" And, hmm. So God is going to test them. So there was a famine in the land besides the earlier famine. So the scripture is clear that it's not the same famine as with Abraham and Sarah. And it probably isn't even the same Abimelech because it's been 75 years. And so, you know, it probably isn't the same Abimelech. From what I understood and from what I studied is that Abimelech is more of a title than a name, but I don't think it's that big a deal. So anyway, it says that um, that then Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gera, and the Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Now, what does that sound like? Does that sound like, well, if you feel like it, or if you don't, you know, if it fits your fancy. I mean, no, I think that when God said, do not go down to Egypt, I think that sounds like a command to me. I don't see any wiggle room there. Do not go down to Egypt. So that's kind of like uh, the word that I wanted to really understand this week in this lesson. You know, what, what is a command and so I looked it up, I looked it up, and, and I, you know, even though you think you know what a word means, it's just kind of good to see how they describe it, how a dictionary describes it. And, and command was another one that really helped me. It's to order, to order by one of authority and expects you to, to obey. And how cut and dried, how how simple, a command is when you have an order. It's given by someone in, with authority, and is it's expected to be obeyed. So, I would dare say that when you hear the word command, it's a serious thing. Like I said, no wiggle room. It's cut and dried. It's black and white. Do not. And then I, then I thought, you know what, I'll, I'll have you think about that. What other commands come to your mind? You know, because the Bible is full of commands. I mean, when and now I think I'm going to take it more seriously, because now that I know that it's an order, it's given by one in authority over me, and he expects me to obey it. I mean, there is just no way other I can say it. When he says it, he means it. So do it. And I thought, okay, well, I'm sure you did too. The first one that came to my mind was when man said to Jesus, asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? What's the greatest command? And Jesus says, love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Every part of you, you love the Lord. That's the greatest. Because it makes sense, doesn't it? When you have your life right with the Lord and you're loving him with every part of you, <laughs> When your heart condition is that way, then out of you then it's going to come the right behavior, which is commandment you know the second greatest commandment is "Love your neighbors yourself." But if you have that first one settled and you're living by that, it seems like all the other commands fall into their their proper places and and I thought of another, another command, that you don't see the word command, like you don't see the word command when he says, do not go down. But you know it is, because there's no alternative. He has no other choice here for you. And that is when, when um, he says, do not worry. Do not worry. And your first instinct, first instinct is, well, I can't help it. I mean, you know, that's asking the impossible here. And, you know, God, God wouldn't say that. He wouldn't say, do not worry. If, if he knew it was going to be so impossible for us and that we would be laughing in space because we know it's ridiculous. But he knows that... You know, in a situation, you can be concerned, but worry is when you don't, even, you don't even ask him to be a part of it. You don't even let him enter into your crisis. You don't even, you don't even think twice about, about having him help you through this. You, you don't even go to him, and we've learned that. We've seen chapters where his name isn't even mentioned. So when he says, do not worry... Be concerned. You can be concerned, but the difference between worry and concern is with worry, God is not in it. With concern, it's the same situation, but you've invited the Lord to be in it. And you're 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 asking him, you're believing that he's got something up here, and you're gonna trust him to take you through it. What a difference. Do not worry. Three hundred and sixty-five times God's word says do not fear. And I think what we're seeing again tonight, fear is an emotion that just strips you of of everything. You get into a fear, you get into a panic, you just watch yourself. You just watch yourself grow weaker and weaker and weaker when that fear starts grabbing you around the neck and you just start falling apart. 365 times he says do not worry I'm giving you an order from someone who's in authority and I expect you to obey do not worry always invite me into your situation your crisis because I have already promised you that I'm there and what a difference it will make in how you handle it and then another one I thought was you know with Thomas when when Jesus was so direct with with Thomas do not doubt was another command because he you know obviously you think about what did doubt do in Genesis 3 it changed everything you just just when, when saints said, Did God really say just that little bit of doubt just caused it all to fall apart? So obviously, God says, Do not doubt. And then, and then did you notice? Um, and I had you, you know, go to Deuteronomy. You know, it just shows again how important the command is because it's not just something flippant. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting with verse 6, this is what Moses writes. He says, these commandments, you know, he writes the words of the Lord saying, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on your door frames of your houses and on your gates. In other words, not flippant. Keep talking about it. Put him in a place where you can constantly see him that you don't forget. God commanded. He ordered. He's God, we're not. He's an authority, and he expects you and I to to obey him. And then I asked you a question. If we really obeyed God's commands, do you really think it would change do you think if we really obeyed God's commands, do you think it would change our story? I'm, I am so convinced from how this is laid out, how our lessons are laid out, is that God is showing us, if you would just listen to me, this whole Bible could be different. These stories could all have different kinds of, of endings. But I'm going to put them just the way it happened because I want you to see what happens when you don't obey there's such, these lessons are such a mirror for us to really see how we can miss the mark. So, do I think that it would make a difference if every believer just followed the commands that, God, that we took his commands seriously? Yeah, because it would change our heart, which then would change our, our countenance and our actions and our walk and... And we know people are watching. Yeah, I think it would change. It would change. So do not go down to Egypt, and he goes on, live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you. He's starting to see that when God says, I will, I know for me, I underline it. I don't know, it's so securing to me, it's so comforting when I hear the word from God saying, I will. Because I can count on it. When he said, I will, Isaac, I will be with you. I will bless you. For to you and your descendants, I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands. I will give them all these lands and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because Abraham obeyed me and kept my requirements, my commands, my decrees and my laws. Did you read that in, uh, you know, maybe it's just me, but when I read that, I thought when I read the part that says, because Abraham obeyed me and kept my requirements and my commands and my decrees and my laws, I said right out loud, he did not. You know, I can name out quite a few times where he really muffed it because he wouldn't obey. And I just started questioning until the Lord simmered down. And then, of course, then the Holy Spirit just starts filling my mind with the truth that I have learned because if you confess these able to forgive and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And then then as far as the East is from the West, so far does he remove those transgressions from us and he remembers our sin no more. I mean, the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 11 says, by faith, Abraham, it was like he did everything right. He never did anything wrong. He was just perfect. But you know what? In the Lord's eyes, he sees us through the blood of Christ and we are... I heard a song on my way to Bible study this morning. I heard a song And it was just exactly what I was trying to get across. And the song said, at the cross, he makes me faultless. I am faultless. In other words, he doesn't even see those things anymore. They've been washed under the blood, and he remembers them no more. And so when he does look at me, when he looks at you, That cross, that's why it's so important when we go to the cross, he has cleansed us. Oh, I just think the cross makes us flawless. And that's exactly what happened here. And I think that it had to be so powerful with God saying this, and I don't know how God spoke back then, I don't know, but it was a very clear message. Isaac heard it, there's no doubt. And I'm sure that it did kind of wake him up a bit. And when I read verse 6, I was encouraged because I thought, oh, good, maybe he's turning the corner. Maybe he's getting the Lord back in the, his proper place and they're going to cling to him again like was, they did when they were praying for a baby. There'll be better influence on their children. I, I, was, I was getting all worked up. Because it said, so Isaac stayed in Gerar. So he listened. He obeyed. Hoo hoo. Until I read verse seven. And I thought to myself, no, no, nothing's changed. You know, you can hear God's word and it can kind of, it can kind of jolt you and you can kind of feel the power and that. But if you don't do anything about it, if it doesn't change you, I think that's what happened. He heard the words but he didn't do anything with it. And so then, when the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, she's my sister. Didn't you just want to jump into this story and strangle him? I mean, you think, don't, didn't your dad tell you? I'm sure Abraham told him, but let me tell you about a story. When we, when we went to Egypt, and you know, why, you know why God was so emphatic about Isaac and not going to Egypt is because the coven child was never to leave the promised land and that makes sense too because remember how how important it was that Abraham said to his servant make sure Isaac doesn't go there because the question from Eliezer was if the girl doesn't come back with me do I get Isaac and bring him back over there Oh, no, You're, I will cancel the oath before that happens. So Isaac was not to leave the promised land. So, okay, you have all of this, you know, all enemy and evil and paganism, all this around you, and because he wasn't in that right relationship with the Lord, what happens? Instantly. I mean, this is right there. He said, she's my sister, because he was afraid to say she is my wife. And then look at the next two words. He thought. It would been a whole different story if he wouldn't went and said, Lord, i got something to talk over with you. You gave me one gorgeous woman here. And I know men. And I know pagan men, and I know that they can do what they want, when and how, and take. So, Lord, I'm coming to you. you got to somehow help me to know how to handle this. This is where you told me to be, but yet all this is going on around me. So, Lord, wouldn't it have been a different story? But no, no, he is thinking to himself, he's trying to figure out what he can do to make it happen that they don't get her and I guess it just slipped out. She's my sister, and you know it did it did look it did look like it worked for quite a long time. It said he thought the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebecca because she is beautiful so and apparently. They all bought it. Because look at verse 8, when Isaac had been there a long time. So again, we have to remember that this story, these stories that we're hearing, there's a lot of years. God has been working on these people for decades because they were so pitiful. But yet he could see that they, they would you know, be pliable with enough work. But see, he looks at us the same way. Oh. He can see if we're pliable or not. He knows it's gonna take a while to get us to where he he wants us to be. But if he can see that there's a little mustard seed of faith in there that he can work with. When Isaac had been there a long time, this is why I know that this is all the way, you know, this is God is so working right here because look at his timing here. I mean, you're talking split-second timing. Because when God had enough, I mean, he let this lie go for a while. He'll, he'll do that. I think sometimes he'll say, you think you're smarter than me? Well, then you don't think you have to come to me and ask for my advice and counsel? Okay, then I'll let it go for a while. And, then, and it's like all of a sudden God says, you know what? That's it. That is it, and I'm going to show him himself. I'm going to show him and the people around how he has blown it. It's time I step in here. And, and when he does, because these details, it says that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window. See, Right at that second, he happened to look in out of that particular window at that particular time and he saw Isaac caressing his wife Rebecca. Now, I'm sure that this was this could probably have been just a quick little hug or something, you know. And so I don't think this was some long thing that went on for hours on end that, it you know, was coincidental. No, that word, I hope and pray that you, you keep luck and coincidence out of your vocabulary because there is no such thing. This is when God said, that's enough. And so he had Abimelech looking out of that right window at just that right second. And, you know, I always keep my King James open. And this, this made me laugh out loud because I wanted to know what King James Version used for the word caress. You know what it was? Sporting. Sporting. Let me read it by the King James. It said, um, and Abimelech saw Isaac sporting his wife Rebecca. I can't explain that. I don't know what that means. But anyways, something's going on. And it was obvious that this was not his sister. So however you want to interpret it. So now, so Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, she is really your wife, you know. I mean, it's obvious. And then the word, then the question came: Why? Why did you say that? Why did you say? Why did you lie and say that she's your sister? And and there again, in that white space. Between she is my sister and Isaac answered him, there's white space there. In other words, he can make a choice how he's going to answer this. And the whole story would be so different if he would have just fussed up and said, because I was scared and I really wish that I had gone to the Lord about it and, and I did wrong here because there was time for him to, ch- to change it and come clean. But look what He does. Isaac answered him because I thought I might lose my life my life on account of her. I mean, I can't even get it was the same thing as Abraham. Weren't you thinking of Sarah? Aren't you thinking of Rebecca? All you're caring about is you. See, he's not walking with the Lord right. Because when you're when you are, self does not come first. Then Abimelech said this. I mean, this is the same kind of rebuke Pharaoh gave and the other Abimelech. I mean, this had to make them feel so small because you've got the pagan ruler that says, what is this you have done to us? How could you do this? I mean, one of the men might have well have slept with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. I still say... He just blew his testimony because, see, they know who he worships. I'm sure they've heard him profess about the God Almighty, the one and only. I'm sure they've heard him. And yet, boy, was his talk and walk not cooperating together. And that is, that is when your testimony suffers. And then verse 11 And I know the word grace is not in here, but yeah, you you have to see it because you know what grace means—undeserved favor. He is just—he has just blown. He has just not even said God's name. He has not even confessed. He hasn't even admitted the truth. And yet, so Abimelech gave orders to all the people, anyone who molests this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. It's not that Abimelech was such a great guy. I'm telling you, it is God in the details. And he is making Abimelech come with, come up with this. It's called grace. It's called protection. It's, it's just what we're saying tonight. God, will take care of you through every day or all the way. And do we deserve it? No, most of the time Not but he's promised, and we can count on that. And and then the story still even goes, look at verse 12. Isaac planted crops in that land, and, and the same year reaped a hundredfold. Again, I don't see God's name at all here yet, and yet, except that God is blessing. Grace is being lavished. Because look, In that year, after he planted, he reaped a hundredfold. Because why? Because he was such a good farmer, because he knew just exactly what to do? Because God blessed him. God blessed him. The Lord was blessing him. This had to be noticed by Isaac. He had to know that, you know, he... God could have really laid me out. He could have really punished me. He could have really. And yet, God did the opposite. He protected us and He's blessing us. I think a little seed is starting to go around in His mind. Now, the man became rich. That's Isaac, and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy, and he had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. See, that's another word. That's another word that you can expect from from the world. Envy, jealousy. You can expect that kind of behavior from the world and from from a person who, even a Christian, whose self is, is controlling their life because it is pretty sad. It is pretty sad when you, when you can't be happy for someone. It's like the verse said, you can't have joy when they're experiencing joy. It's like in our natural humanness, we, we would rather have them be put down because then that would elevate us a little. It's just such self-centeredness. And that's why in the New Testament we're instructed to encourage one another. This is the God's children are supposed to act like. Encourage one another. Build each other up. Be thrilled for them when they're going through some great times. I'm only saying this because, yes, like I said, these words words are, are relevant to the world. This is what naturally happens when humans are not led by the spirit. It's, it's so sad. We can't be happy for people. And would rather put them down so we look better. But there is no room for that kind of behavior in a life that is walking with the Lord. It's, it's absolutely... So, see, that's, that's kind of another test, another thermostat gauge. If, I, if I'm having trouble with that, if I'm having trouble with envy and jealousy and, and then I'm thinking, well, oh, way too much about me And really there is no room for that kind of behavior in the life of one of God's children. But because it is happening here, because of the fact that these are, this, that that's the way their brain is working, and they're not working under any Holy Spirit or godly principles. So they take a look at this, this and they think, I mean, they get nasty. This is just downright mean. Because it said, So all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up. Filling them with the earth. That's terrible. Because we have learned that the wells, I mean, you're talking desert territory, you know, they probably they don't have equipment like we know today. I mean, and I'm sure they had to dig way down. Wells were camaraderie. I mean, camaraderie. They they were prime. And that's why wells were important and, and you claimed them. They were yours. You put out the effort. It was kind of like on your homestead, your well. And here they plug them all up. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, move away from us. You have become too powerful, powerful for us. So Isaac moved away from there and he encamped in the valley of Gerah and settled there. Now, in verse 6 we know that Isaac stayed in Gera. So when he made this move, it wasn't that far, but yet far enough. He moved he moved into the valley of Gera. But yet this is this was they were separated. He did what he was told. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died, and he gave them the same names his father had given them. This started giving me a hint that, that Isaac is changing. Because, you know, if he's going to put all the effort into digging out all that dirt and unplugging those wells, he could have easily renamed them and claimed them as his own. And I think... I think he's starting to soften. And I do, do think that that was very respectful. That he did not remove the names. He named them the same as what Abraham had named him. I think he's, I think he's thinking differently. So Isaac's servants dug in the valley, verse 19. Now Isaac's servants are going to dig their wells Isaac's wells and they discovered a well of fresh water there. It's kind of like a bonus. But look at verse 20. I mean, he moved away because to cause less trouble, but it's just like trouble followed him because the herdsmen, the herdsmen of Gera, quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen and said, That water is ours. Now, I don't see Isaac losing control, losing his temper, going at them with his dukes up. I don't, I don't see that here. In fact, he probably instructed his herdsmen. They quarreled. But you know, he got his point across by naming the well. Listen to this. When they claimed this water is ours, he named the well. Essek. Unless you look it up, that doesn't mean anything to you. But when you look it up, let me tell you, it means, it means um, contention. So I don't think he got all riled up, but he made his point by naming the well Essek, which means contention. And all wells were named. There was a reason why they would name a certain well. And so Isaac made his point And then moved on and dug another well. But they quarreled over that one also, so he named this well Sidna, which means opposition. Another way for him to get his point across without flying off the handle. I think it was a test of the Lord. I really do. And he controlled. He controlled himself. I think we're starting to see Isaac come around. Okay, now he moved on from there. He moved on from there, and he dug another well. And This time, no one quarreled over it, and he named this well Rehoboth. I think we all know places, don't we? Like this wonderful Christian camp in New Mexico, or this church that I used to sing up near McBain, Rehoboth Reform. I mean, when you, when you hear the word Rehoboth, it's an endearing term because of its meaning. It meant now the Lord has given us room and we will flourish in the land. That's the first time I'm hearing Isaac say the, the Lord's name. And eventually, as you can see in the next verses, yeah, he's starting to bring the Lord back into the picture again. The Lord's been working on him He's testing him, and he I think he has been so humiliated. His testimony was blown, and I think he felt so terrible about that. So now look at verse, verse 23. From there he went up to Beersheba, and that night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. You know, it's very clear that because of Abraham, I mean, God kept his covenant with Isaac because of Abraham. Got me thinking. Got me thinking how the Lord keeps his covenant with you and I. And it's not because we're so good but it's because of Jesus. He, he, he um, keeps his promises with you and I, not because we have done everything so perfectly, but he keeps coming back with grace and mercy and patience because, because of Jesus. I don't know what kind of years, I don't think they were real good spiritual ears when God spoke the first five verses of this chapter. But now that I'm starting to see a whole different kind of behavior from Isaac, I think God comes back with this repetition. Like, you know, it's those same kind of things he wants Isaac to know. This is what I said to Abraham. This is what I'm saying to you. I will be there. Don't be afraid. You're going to have a nation. A nation will come from you. Um, You're going to have land, this land that you're standing on right now. It's going to be yours. And you're going to continue the blessing because of Abraham's obedience. He, he, he will bless many, many people, and I'm carrying that on to you. I think he is hearing this now. I think Isaac is hearing those words, and it is sinking in, and, and it means something to him. Like all of a sudden, he sees how important it is because look what happened it says in verse in verse 25 look at Isaac built an altar there how many times have we talked about the altar that when they built an altar it was like it was it was like okay i i know i veered off course and i'm confessing and i'm repenting and i'm getting my life right where, where i need to be again i'm surrendering my life to you i'm recommitting my life to you and i am worshiping you because it says he called on the name of the lord and remember as many times as they go to that altar or they build an altar remember our altar is the cross that we there's no way we go to the cross just once yeah the one time is it's, it's the ultimate when we, when we go there for our salvation but the cross is a place that he wants you and I to go all the time because that is where we get back where we need to be that's where we confess and repent and we recommit and, and we're grateful that he is willing to take us back and there we worship he called on the name of the Lord and there he pitched his tent and there his servants dug a well it's like there. Meanwhile, meanwhile, Abimelech had come to him from Gera, and he took a couple guys with him, Ahuzas, Ahuz, his personal advisor, and, and Phicol, the commander of his forces. So three very important men come to Isaac. And I, I like the way Isaac, it's kind of like he spoke first. And he said, why have you come to me since you were hostile to me and you sent me away? So What's the deal? Why are you coming to visit? You send me away. And they answered, "No, oh, this is great. They answered, We saw clearly that the Lord was with you. So in the time that, that Isaac blew his testimony and was humbled to a Paul probably, Watch the Lord protect him and bless them him knowing what he had done and you start to see him change during all that time where God is blessing him and his, his herds are, are going crazy and, and his crops are going a hundredfold that you know, they're seeing they're seeing how all of this is working and they put two and two together and they see that the Lord The Lord was with you. Now, it would be such a different story, wouldn't it? If if these three powerful men said, We saw that the Lord, it was so clear that the Lord is with you. Wouldn't it have been great if they would have sat down and said, Would you tell us about him? Would you please show us the way that he can be our God too and that we can take him back to our people? I mean, wouldn't it have been a great story? but they don 't no they don 't they don 't do that no they're they 're still pretty pretty much self centered and they 're trying to figure this out okay you know um we we kind of want to hook up here with you, Isaac, because then that 's going to benefit us, and you watch them connive look at. There ought to be a a sworn agreement between us, between us and you. Let us make a treaty with you that you will do no harm to us, just as we did not molest you, but always treated you well and sent you away in peace. In other words, we were good to you. Um, One good turn deserves another. I mean, you can see their whole wheeling and dealing here. But what they wanted was protection because they saw. But instead of humbling themselves, we want your God to be our God. They're trying to figure out how they can get all of it. Now, you got white space again between verse 29 and 30 because you know what humanly would have been so easy for Isaac to say? Nuts to you. I mean, you know, I don't think so. I don't think that's something that we're going to do. You know, but look at verse 30. He made a different kind of choice. Isaac then made a feast for them. I mean, you're talking totally opposite I'm sure I'm sure these these three men are expecting some, you know, (laughs) some animosity or some some kind of verbiage, but instead Isaac makes a feast for them and they ate and drank and early the next morning the men swore an oath to each other. Then Isaac sent them on their way and they left him in peace. And you're thinking, why did he do that? Why did Isaac do that? Why didn't he say, No, can't do that? And all I could think, and you can take it or leave this, but I'm thinking how when God changes us, when he, when he, I, I just, I wrote words. I saw, I saw graciousness in Isaac. I think because Isaac learned graciousness, undeserved favor. He was treated with grace by God when he didn't deserve it. I think Isaac is wanting to keep the door open. Now, no, they didn't come right out and say, "I want your God to be my God." But Isaac is probably saying, "If they're already watching, maybe who am I to say that God can't change their heart? And if if their heart is too hard and, and it never changes, at least I can say, I kept the door open. I didn't burn any bridges. And isn't that so what we do? If people have done us wrong, it's so easy to say, you know what, I've had it. Enough is enough. I want nothing more to do with you. I'm burning this bridge. It's over. I just wonder sometimes if the Lord just wants us to show... Himself through us, and that 's how sometimes people see Jesus, so the words that I wrote I, I see I see graciousness, I see I see I think that was a wise choice, Isaac, and you know what else I saw? I saw the fruit of the spirit, and I know that the Holy Spirit doesn't come to Pentecost, but I see the characteristics of the spirit because I see an unconditional love here I, I see him caring, I see. I see a patience. I see a kindness. I, I definitely see self-control. I really see the fruit of the Spirit here. And he doesn't, he doesn't burn the bridge. He doesn't close the door. Because, you know, maybe I'll be rubbing elbows with him again. Maybe they'll think about it. Because they're assuming I'm going to act one way. And if I don't, maybe they'll think. It's kind of like kill him with kindness. I think scripture even kind of mentions something about that, you know, about heaping coals. Don't give them any ammunition. Just keep loving, loving them. Just keep showing them God through you. That day Isaac's servants came and told him about the well that they had dug. And they said, we found water. And I'm sure they were so excited And this time they named the well Sheba. And to this day, the name of the town has been Beersheba. And what does Sheba mean? We saw how Isaac made his points through the names of those other wells. (laughs) But I think he makes another very good point here, because he names this well Sheba, which means oath, the well of oath. Look at the timing. They got water after the, I think it was like God was approving of Isaac's behavior here, and all of a sudden you get this bonus water here, and, and Isaac names the well Sheba because of the oath. Because, and, then, and then when I learned that that was the name and what she, Sheba means, Sheba means, it means well of oath and then the description after that was where your enemies will seek out your favor because I think that's true they were Isaac's enemies but yet they sought out his favor and it went and eventually glorify your God and I couldn't help but, and, and I, want, I want you to turn to Matthew 5. These are Jesus' words. These are Jesus' words. So clear. So clear. It's in the chapter of the Beatitudes. And after the Beatitudes, there's a section that Jesus says we are to be salt and light. And if this doesn't kind of go with this story. I don't even think it's kind of. I think think this is just Old Testament, New Testament, just all intertwined. This is what Jesus said. You are the light of the world. Verse 14. A city. You are a city on a hill. And it cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone In the house, in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds, your Christ-like deeds, your godly character. You're letting God work through you. Let them see that. It's not normal. Your behavior is not normal. And let them see that. And then praise your Father in, in heaven. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? I think, he, I think Isaac did a great job. And, you know, another lesson uh, that, I, that I saw here, well, let's finish this first, is when Esau was 40 years old. See, don't you wish that the lesson would have just ended with verse 33. And now we go home. It seems like so many of these chapters have these little tag-ons that you think I could have done without that. But yet, oh no, these tag-ons are so meaningful. When Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, daughter of Beri, the Hittite, and also Basmath, daughter of Elon, the Hittite, which means Canaanite women, which they were so instructed not to do. And they were a source of grief to Isaac or Rebecca. So you can see that... You know, we were wondering, you know, why why in Malachi, why was that so firm, you know? Last week when we were a little troubled by that verse where it says, when God says, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. And I thought to myself, you know, um, we got to get a little mm, biblical definition of hate because God would never hate, hate the way we know, but, but... Just like when, when Jesus said, "You're to hate your mother and father and brothers and sisters, you know and um, the hate doesn't mean that you literally hate them, but it means you've got to separate yourself, and so God is saying, we've got to separate. I see Esau's heart, and I can see that he is not going to change, and he is going to make his own choices. Boy, did I find a great verse that just proves that. Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, starting with verse 14. The writer of Hebrews says these words, Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Make every effort. Make every effort to to live in peace with all men, to be holy. Because without holiness, without righteous living, without Jesus controlling your life, no one will see the Lord through you. Because believe it or not, you're not going to shine much. And then it goes on to say, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. I'm going to read on, but I've got to stop there a minute because, I, you know, it just reminded me of years ago. Then I was singing in a church somewhere in the Midwest. It was the evening concert, and I was always before a concert. I would always find a little room adjacent to to the sanctuary, and that's where I would pray, and that's where I would kind of get myself ready to go. and And Tom would be out in the sanctuary where I could hear music being played, but I just had to get things right. Very seldom did the pastor come in. He probably thought that he didn't want to bother me, but this one particular church, the pastor came and said, can I pray with you? And I said, I just love that. I don't get that that often. And so I was anticipating this, and and he sat down and started to pray. And this is how he prayed. As sure as I'm sitting here, this is exactly what he said. He said, Lord, you know what a mess this church is in. You know how the people hate each other here. You know that they don't get along. And I mean, he just went on and on for like, you know, 15 seconds, just kind of laying it out there. And then he ended the prayer by saying, somehow use her. In Jesus' name, amen. And he got up and left. Not one word to me, Nothing. I'm left there sitting there, and I'm thinking, what am I in for? But you know what? I just got to tell you, my Bible happened to be open to Hebrews 12 here. And so when I said to the Lord, what do you want me to do? It's just like I could almost hear the uh, Lord say, well, listen to me. This is what you do. You listen to me. And how do you listen to me? By, By hearing what I'm saying to you. And my eyes went down and my Bible was open. Make every effort to live in peace. But the part that I read, see to it, this this was the answer. Linnell, this is what you do to these people tonight. See to it that they don't miss God's grace. Because without God's grace, that's why this bitterness is taking root in this church. And I thought, okay, now how do I handle it? You know, what do I do? And I just went out there and I sat by Tom and I said, I'll go to the piano and I'll start singing songs about grace and you find every song that we know about grace and I just pray to the Lord I can remember all the words because tonight it's all about grace. But then listen, listen how it continues. That's how important grace is. Because without grace, the natural, the natural indication our human behavior just seems to go in an immoral way because it said, see to it that you do not miss the grace of God so no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau. says it right there. Godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterwards, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Right there in Hebrews chapter 12. That's why God put that little tag on in there because sometimes I think we wonder, you know, why did he pick Jacob? Jacob's no prize either. But the way it looked at me, it's so identifiable now that you can see that God knew Esau was just a bad apple that was not going to, because he was raised the same way heard the same truth and said, no, God knows. He was a heartache to Isaac and Rebecca. But the one little thing that I just want to end tonight with that just really affected me, this week was when I watched, I watched Isaac, I watched him grow weak when, when he never mentioned God, when he, when he just um, decided to let that emotion fear take over his faith. I mean, and then you some kind of babble like, well, you know, I didn't I, I was so afraid that you would kill me. And you know, you could almost hear all that babbling going on. And he just went from bad to worse. I mean, just you can just see the weakness take over, and that's what I want to make sure we know. That when we start pull, when we start pulling away from God for whatever reason we think we can handle it, if we don't honestly feel we need to stay clinging to him. We're in such a bad place because we are just gonna keep getting weaker and weaker and weaker. And I couldn't help but think and how I again, like I say, I love the way scripture just all intertwines itself because in second in second Corinthians chapter twelve it became clear to me. This is what I needed, and I'm just gonna pass this on to you because I watched when when we don't get an answer, when Paul said to God, "Can you just take? Can you just take my my thorn away?" I th- I'm sure Paul had such great reasons too. Can you take my thorn away? And God said no. And it said that Paul asked three times, and God said no. And you wonder why would God say no? Because you're you're thinking this will make me stronger, Lord. This will make me stronger if you take away the thing that that is causing some trouble. Lord, let me to 2 Corinthians chapter twelve, and it's the three times I pleaded the Lord to take away from me, but the Lord said this was the Lord's. When the Lord says no to one thing, it's like He wanted He wanted Paul, He wants you and I to see when He says no. And instead of falling into that stage of disappointment and despair and why not and all this kind of thing, we have to trust that the Lord has a better reason. And he had a better reason for Paul. He had a better reason for me. And I just have had my eyes open. I've known this first forever. And yet, and now it makes sense. Sometimes the Lord says, because, you know, we've talked about how life takes us up and down, up and down, and we have no control over most of it. But we can control our steady walk with him. And sometimes we just have to trust that when the Lord says no to something, it's because he wants us strong. Listen to what he said to Paul. No, I'm not going to take away. I'm not going to take away that thorn, because I want you to know something better, because I can take away that thorn. But I want you to learn something that's even far better because you're going to have ups and downs of life, and I want you to always remember this: that my grace is sufficient, and that my power is made perfect in your weakness. So when you start falling into that weak state, you can because you know this verse. You can allow the spirit to say, "That's why. That's why I'm not getting the answer I want." But God knows better. He's saying, I want you to know this far more. This is going to be beneficial to you far more than me just healing you. I want you to be aware that my grace is sufficient no matter what you're going through. That sounds like a steady walk with him, doesn't it? Because my power is made perfect in your weakness. You know, I used to sing a song. This was one song that it was so hard for me to give up. And... You know, this was one song that I just, and I don't say this in, in boast, but I could nail it. Because I was, it fit my voice. The song was perfect for my voice, but the thing is, I understood this song. And it, I recorded this song 30 years ago when, when I, my life was just in shambles. And I recorded a whole project at this time. I recorded, um, and, and it was songs like this one. His strength is perfect when mine is gone. And another song that I put on that project was "When Answers Aren't Enough." There is Jesus. And another song that I put on that old hymn that does "Jesus Care." When my heart is pained, and then you get to that chorus, that reminder: "Oh yes, He cares. I know He cares. His heart is touched with my grief." And so when the days are weary and those long nights so dreary, I can know that my Savior cares. I really believe that when he says no and instead of growing weak because we don't like it and we're disappointed, God is saying, I want something far better for you than what you asked. My strength My strength in you will be perfect. I'm the only one that can give you the strength that you need. That's called my grace is sufficient. I know it's best. I love this lesson. It was so personal. And I I hope and pray that you think the same. My chains are gone. I've been set free. Be not dismayed, whatever be tied. God will take care of you. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, your hand provides, because great is your faithfulness. You promised. I'll tell you, He has given us the tools. And when we fall, we have no one to blame but ourselves. Heavenly Father, you just did it again. You took a lesson that I read the first time and thought, what in the world can we do about these wells? And yeah, you turned it around and made it so personal. So Father, help us to take these words and let them sink to the core of our soul. That it will, that the lesson like tonight can really make a difference. Father, we saw so often in these last couple chapters that if they would have just listened to you, if they would have just trusted you, if they would have just waited, if they would have just heeded the command, a whole different kind of story would have been written. Father, we don't want to miss what you have for us. So you're teaching us how not to miss it. Father, this lesson could really change our life. And we thank you for loving us so much, for laying it out there so clear. And we pray this all in our Savior's name, who makes life so worth living through it all. Amen.